Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Monday, May 31st here in New York City. Hope everyone is having an enjoyable Memorial Day weekend as we honor those who served and lost their lives in defense of uh, the United States. We are back officially here at the Double Double after a long, probably a too long hiatus during midterms and then it ran right into projects and finals at school to prioritize that and we are back now and we're going to be doing something uh, a little different trying something new here we're going to be doing shorter episodes uh, discussing the NBA playoffs try to hit on every game every series going uh going forward giving my thoughts and reactions to all the stuff that's uh, going on in the NBA playoffs. Uh, doing going to probably do a lot of these uh, solo, uh, but we'll try to have mix in guests and stuff here and there as well, get some different voices, different opinions on all the NBA action going on because there's so much going on, especially right now with the first round. Eight different series, all of you know, different competitiveness which is safe to say that some series are going to be closer than others, but uh, the playoffs are sh- shaping up to be what they always are, which is interesting, fun, competitive, and exciting if you're a, if you're a basketball fan or a casual uh, ba- basketball fan and you, you get to see superstars to play superstars as it's uh, looking like we're going to have some major, major star matchups in the rounds uh, going forward. So I'll hit the music and we come back, we'll be... Uh, my thoughts on uh, on the games from yesterday on Sunday, May 30th, and then uh, the games tonight. So we'll be right back. And we're back. So first game we're gonna we're gonna hit on series really is. I've, I've talked about the Knicks multiple times on this podcast throughout the last year and how this has been just a magical season for them, coming in with very, very low expectations. New coach, uh, roster with a lot of guys on one or two-year deals to keep a lot of flexibility going forward. They didn't really know what they are going to be this year. Didn't qualify for the bubble last year. Best player was Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, disappointing rookie year after being the number three overall pick. Didn't make any of the all-rookie teams, which was very disappointing. Coming to this year, we talked about on the podcast, you know, New York is ablaze with Nick passion and enthusiasm. They somehow magically get the four seed, being 500 pretty much most of the year, come on strong last six weeks or so after the All-Star break get the four seed matchup with the Atlanta Hawks, who they played well the whole season, but Atlanta's a, Atlanta was kind of the opposite of the Knicks, where they started really slow, had a coaching change, and really, really came on strong uh, late in the season after that coaching change. Unclear, to me at least, the difference in the two coaches in terms of style play or things that they were trying to do but sometimes it just takes a different voice a different personality uh in in that chair in that room and and that could be all the difference you know uh Nate McMillan did a great job with the Indiana teams 
weirdly got let go after the the bubble last year where the Pacers lost to Miami, but he's done a brilliant, brilliant job with this Atlanta team, and it's showing as we are game four was Sunday afternoon. I understand why they have games all day, but traditionally the one o'clock noon starts are always pretty poorly played games. Um, just guys are just not used to playing that early. Body clocks often and everything. So don't love those games, but came out. It was a close competitive game early, but but the Hawks pulled away in the, in the second half because fundamentally they have a better roster. They are deeper from one to eight, one to nine than the Knicks are. And, it, and in the playoffs, what happens is you bec- you who you are as a team gets exposed and really brought out. And so the Knicks were all season a good defensive team, played really, really, really hard, but could go into these offensive funks where they just really struggled to score, and they were a weak three-point shooting team. And Atlanta is a very good three-point shooting team. They have guys all around the court, around Trey Young, and their big guys, John Collin and Clint Capella, who can really shoot the basketball. And so what was disappointing yesterday in game four, you would think game four, okay, the Knicks are going to adjust down, down two one in the series, play with a sense of urgency, adjust defensive strategy. But Trey young point guard, all-star is able to just get into pick and roll and get into the middle of the paint. And he is, he has a elite floater that he can make pretty much and shoot whenever he wants. He's a terrific passer, not just out to shooters, but also on lobs to Capella, who is fantastic with this team after basically being um, just given up on in Houston when they had to completely change strategies last year to get the best out of Russell Westbrook. He gets, you know, Atlanta gets him almost like found money because he's so good and he fits perfectly what, with what they do and, what, and with what Trey Young does great. And he's kicking out to to shooters like Bogdan Bogdanovich, Gallinari, DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, knocking down shots. And sometimes that's the difference in in playoff series is one team makes shots, the other team misses shots. But hey, the Knicks were struggling from three all season long. That was one of their weaknesses. And you're seeing that Atlanta's saying, okay, Julius Randle is the guy, all star, probably going to make one of the All NBA teams. When he has the ball, we're just going to bring a second guy. So when he drives, he's driving into driving it into two. What that happens, Randall's a pretty good passer, but if he's passing through arms, through hands to guys who are not shooting that well, and then in the playoffs, extra pressure, extra uh, eyeballs on you, when you start missing, it's only human, you start thinking about it more, putting more pressure on yourself once you keep missing, keep missing. And they're just forcing other guys to beat them than Julius Randall, who averaged something like 35-plus each game in the regular season against Atlanta. He said, okay, Randall's not going to beat us. And he hasn't. He played a little bit better on Sunday, has struggled this series because he's always driving into two. He relies on a lot of tough jump shots. And it's just, you know, it's it's really good coaching by Nate McMillan and the Atlanta staff to say, well, hey, we're just going to, we're going to make other guys beat us. And now what that can lead to is I don't think the Knicks are fully out of this yet. I think they can compete and challenge to win game five. Because sometimes all it takes is a good shooting night to get guys back on track, and with just the, and with a three point shot, 
you, you never know what can happen, but the Hawks are in a commanding position to win this to win the series. I think that they'll do it in six games, uh, which would be really disappointing. I thought that the Knicks had a real great chance to win this series, but all props to Atlanta and just the way that Trey Young has has been able to play this whole postseason, dealing with the New York fans being on him and just to come back and deal with all that, being the so-called villain of, of the playoffs and just playing great in his first playoffs, playing great the whole way and not just for himself, but kicking out to guys and making everyone around him better as well. Flipping over to the other New York series, Net Celtics game four yesterday. Uh, this series was not that interesting to me coming in. It was mainly just interesting to see how the Nets would play with their big three, Harden, Irving, Durant, they had played coming into the playoffs fewer than 10 games all together with all three of them active, which seems kind of crazy, but it just injuries, COVID protocols, they, they were just never able to, to all play together. So that was the big concern for them coming in was, yes, we know that they can score, but how are they going to play together? And uh, they're, they're, they're playing really, really well together. Uh, yesterday, they shot 58% as a team. You know, over 50% from, from three. Boston's not very good defensively, especially with Jalen Brown being injured. No Robert Williams to protect the paint yesterday. Brooklyn dominate, as they should. It took, in game three, Tatum had 50 points. If your strategy to win a game in a series is our best player needs to have 50-plus it's going to be really, really hard for you to win a series. And uh, props to the Celtics this season. They had one of the toughest regular seasons in this crazy, weird COVID year. They battled through the, the regular season to get to the play-in. They dealt with injuries all season with the earlier start than normal. Kemba wasn't right at the beginning of the season. Jason Tatum gets COVID. He, you know, His issues with it have, have been well-documented. They trade for Evan Fournier, who then immediately goes into the COVID protocols once he gets to Boston. Uh, Jalen Brown then gets injured like a week before the playoffs start out for the season, which was just brutal. You know, as there's there's some stat of of the teams that had the most that were most affected by the COVID protocols this year in terms of guys missing games and time. The Celtics were the most affected. So this is a year, hey, we going in, everyone said, this is going to be weird, this is going to be crazy, some teams are just going to be affected by this way more than than others, turned out it was the Celtics, they'll be back next year, two great players in Tatum and Brown, Ainge always finds a way to maneuver the roster, even though I don't think he makes enough trades that he should have made in, in the past, they always find a way, Celtics will be competitive next year, the series is over, they just, the Celtics don't have enough to make it competitive, you know, and it's a shame that yesterday, this unbelievable game that the Nets played, like the story after the game should have been Durant with 40-plus, Irving with 35-plus, Harden was awesome, that some moron in the stands threw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving. Like, that became the story after the game. And it's just it's just so insulting to these guys who are human beings first before athletes that, like, okay, he decided to not wear the Celtics jersey anymore and he went to play for Brooklyn with Kevin Durant. So you're going to throw a water ball at him because he torched you guys and that, okay, he got hurt when he was with you guys. And, you know, I'm not even the biggest Kyrie fan, but if you're throwing stuff at players from the stands, like you need to reevaluate your, your life choices. And it was good to see that 
the Boston Garden and the uh, Boston Police Department are, they arrested him, they kicked him out, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, the, the last I saw is that there'll be some type of, he'll be charged with, with some type of thing for the incident. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know all the technical terms, but uh, that's good to see. Because once you start saying, hey, you, you might actually go to jail for this stuff. You're not going to be kicked out of this arena because you just watch all the games on TV. But you might actually go to jail. I, I hope will encourage this type of behavior to to stop happening because it's just ridiculous. Like the storyline after the game should have been how awesome Kyrie Irving was instead of the fact that like some moron almost hit him in the head with a water bottle. Like it's just it's just awful. But one thing to look for with Brooklyn going forward because most likely we're going to talk about this next is they're going to play Milwaukee. And then if they win that series, they'll most likely play Philly. An underrated thing that I don't think people have talked enough about with this Nets team is that their three best players, and you can throw, yeah, their their three best players, Harden, Durant, Irving, all fantastic free throw shooters. They're all over 85%. Philly doesn't have that. And Bede's a very good free throw shooter, but Simmons is just okay. And Milwaukee... Middleton's good, Holiday's good, but Giannis has, you know, he's just about league average, still a little below average, but he can come and go with with his free throw shooting. This could be, that could be one of the things to watch going forward in that series, especially is that if you foul one of these guys, it is almost a guaranteed two points compared with Philly and Milwaukee, which is if you foul one of their best players, you don't, it's one point or maybe even zero points. So that could be something going forward is just, how hard it is to guard these guys when you can't even foul them, especially once you get into the bonus because it's just an automatic two points. They don't even have to make shots, but if you bump them or something in, in the bonus, that is just hey, two points on the board, two points on, on the board, which could be really, really tough to guard, especially when they're on fire like they were yesterday, which should have been the storyline. Eastern Conference, one series is already done. <laughs> Bucks Heat, the series I was most excited for, coming into the first round rematch of the Eastern Conference semifinals from the bubble. I thought this would be a close series, but again, what I talked about at the beginning with the with the Knicks about the playoffs exposing who you are as a team, Miami all season, all season Miami, maybe because they had such a short uh, break between the finals and the start of training camp in the regular season, but all season they were just super inconsistent. They were consistently inconsistent where they would play a great three games in a row, then lose four in a row, then win five in a row, and then lose five in a row. And then in a game, they'll play like the team that made the finals, and then they'll play like a lottery team. Super, super inconsistent. And we saw that in this series where game one was close. That was the game Miami could have stolen and still get that feeling that, hey, we have the Bucks number. But after that game... It was amazing the the domination that that the Bucks had on the on on Miami because Miami was just super inconsistent. They would play a great quarter, then lose a quarter by fifteen points, an entire quarter, or lose by two, and then lose the next quarter by ten. And that type of inconsistency in the playoffs when you play a really good team like you did with the Bucks, that's going to hurt you. And so Miami has a bunch of moves to make in the summer. We'll touch on it in a second, but going to the Bucks and their domination. Zach Lowe wrote, wrote about this, which was fascinating. And then once you notice it, you couldn't stop noticing it, which was the coaching and the adjustments that they made to how Miami was guarding Milwaukee, which was a lot of times they would put 
Bam Adebayo, Miami's big guy, best perimeter defender, they think is their Giannis stopper. Well, when Giannis has the ball at the top of the key, that means Bam's far away from the basket. So they would move Brooke Lopez, their center, who had a size advantage over the guy who was guarding him, usually Trevor Ariza or Andre Iguodala. Sometimes even Duncan Robinson would get stuck on it. Uh, on that switch is that have him down in the dunker spot, which is like the short corner right right by the rim, just outside the paint, where he can offensive rebound, post up, hopefully draw some fouls, but uh, and just attack the glass. Because you're not going to make every shot, but the more pressure you can put on them, get easy baskets. When you do that with Lopez and P.J. Tucker, who might be pound for pound the strongest dude in the league, uh, the offensive rebounding in this series was just incredible because Miami is out of bios away from the basket. Now you're relying on guards and wings to box out my uh milwaukee's strongest guys and you know there's some luck involved in rebound the ball has to come to you but you make your own luck a, a lot of the times and it was just it was just really cool to see the tactical adjustments because miami didn't really have an adjustment to it because either they had someone else on Giannis, and he would get to the basket easy or you try to take Giannis away and and kind of live with that and hope that you can battle and lopez did great and pj tucker did, did great this year so that was really cool to see just the offensive re- rebounding advantage because that will be another very similar thing that can happen in the Brooklyn series and advantage for them to exploit is who's Brooklyn going to play at big? Is Brooklyn going to play DeAndre Jordan, who's probably their weakest big guy? Well, that means that is he guarding Giannis? Is he, is he guarding Lopez? Is he guarding someone else? Are they going to play Nick Claxton, who Lopez has a weight advantage on? Are they going to play Blake Griffin, who Lopez has a height advantage on? P.J. Tucker, you know, this offensive rebounding could be really interesting as the Bucks move forward in the playoffs. And I just want to talk for one second about Giannis. And, okay, everyone focuses on the jumper. The jumper, 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 jumper. He can't shoot, can't make threes, struggling from the free throw line. Oh, it takes him more than 10 seconds. All this all this stuff. The growth of his game in terms of creating and passing for to, to others is extraordinary. He made several passes in this series and especially in game four were plays that he could not have made two seasons ago when he won his first MVP. So just think about that MVP two years ago, he is now making plays that he couldn't do then creating for others because so much of Giannis is okay. You know, you say, okay, he can't shoot. He needs to shoot far away so that guys can't build the wall and double team when he drives and pack it in. Well, also the reason why they could do that is because he wasn't a great passer. He would drive in, run into two, and really struggle finding the open man. And he's just kept improving and improving on that, and he threw some fantastic passes. You know, I remember one inside to P.J. Tucker on, on like a little double team, dump it in there, layup, kicking out, dump downs. His passing has greatly improved to the point of where it's – you know, you're still going to make him pass. It's like the the LeBron thing. You're still going to make him pass because he's just so good going to the basket. But it's now not, it's it's no longer a thing where I think you just say, "Hey, we're going to put four guys in the paint and dare him to to pass," because they know that uh they know that that's a weakness because he's just improved so much. And even though he won't win the MVP this year, he still has gotten better and better and better, which is a scary, scary thought for the rest of the league. The team also the the growth defensively from last year, especially against Miami where, you know, last year was all about Bud doesn't coach, Bud doesn't switch. They don't change their strategy. They need to switch more on defense. Well, the addition of drew holiday just changed their defense so much that now they can switch certain things. They 
felt comfortable switching Drew Drew Giannis stuff, Drew Middleton stuff, Drew DiVincenzo stuff where he got hurt, Drew Tucker stuff. You know, they still don't really switch with with Lopez naturally as he's the the five man. You don't want him uh, guarding Jimmy Butler or Goran Dragic one on one at the top of the key. But the other thing was that they were just they were living with certain three pointers going up in in matchups. And yes, it killed Miami that Tyler Hero didn't shoot that well. And Duncan Robinson wasn't as awesome as he was last year. And no Jay Crowder or Kelly Olynyk who were making shots all last playoffs as well. But they they sort of live with it. They said, okay, if Duncan Robinson can come off a handoff and get himself open with the with the dribble, okay, like he's going to do that four or five times a game. Why? Because he's really good at it. And we're not going to be able to fully take it away. But with Chris Middleton chasing over the top and giving a good contest, They'll live with it if if Robson goes three for seven one game, or he has the one game like in game one where he goes six or where he makes six or seven threes. You know, live with it because he's really good at that. Like that's what he does. You're not going to be able to fully take it away. And they said we're gonna just we're gonna play our style. We're gonna, and what we're gonna take away is the paint. We're gonna take away all the easy stuff and the drives that killed us last year. And what you saw with with Miami was what really killed them offensively. It was not just Tyler Hero missing what felt like every single shot he took, was Bam Adebayo, who is a good mid-range shooter, barely shot. He barely looked at the basket from from that range. And I don't know why he did that. A few weeks before the playoffs, after a tough loss, Jimmy Butler said something along the lines of, you know, Bam needs to stop shooting so many mid-range jumpers because he's so big, he's so strong. He needs to be attacking the basket and dunking and drawing fouls and all that stuff. And then ironically, the, the next day against Brooklyn, Bam Adebayo made a mid-range jumper buzzer beater to beat Brooklyn. But I don't know if it was if it was what Butler said or just something that they wanted him to do or if it was just, you know, maybe he didn't even realize what he was doing. But Lopez would sag all the way off of him. It was Adebayo would get the ball at the free throw line. Lopez would back up as soon as he got the ball inside the restricted arc. And that's something to look for against Brooklyn as well. If they play Blake Griffin, if they play especially DeAndre Jordan, Nick Claxton is just back up all the way. Back up all the way. Because that's what they did. And they sort of dared him to to shoot those. And for whatever reason, he wasn't shooting. And that was really, really tough because then you're playing four on four with your four best perimeter defenders guarding the four Miami guys. It's just that was just really interesting to see. Miami didn't really have an adjustment to that. They didn't. He just, just didn't start shooting or taking one dribble into a floater or going to set screens for guys because the help is that much lower. It was it was interesting. Um, don't know how they adjust that, but this roster may change a lot next year. Miami, obviously, major free agent destination. Currently constructed, teams not good enough to compete with Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philly. Naturally, those three teams are awesome and may win the, the title. The Miami front office, I think, is now the biggest uh, Dallas Maverick fans in the entire country because the the Clippers lose again in the first round. It's very hard to believe that they'll run it back. Why? Kawhi has an opt-out. Paul George, I believe, has an opt-out. They have to find a way to make their team better. They don't have any trade assets, really, because they gave it all up in that Paul George trade. They It's been rumored all season that the but if the Clippers have an early exit, Paul George most likely will be on the move, if not Kawhi on the move in free agency. Well, Miami is a destination 
they can get the cap space, watch out for them getting one or two of these Clipper guys if Dallas is able to beat them. Because they just imagine defensively what Paul George, Jimmy Butler, and Bam could do in Miami. Or Kawhi, add Kawhi in there. It would be really, really, I think, interesting that it hasn't really been talked a lot about, but watch out for Miami with one or both of those guys because also with the Paul George trade, Miami can do it. They have they have picks. They have young players in Hero, um, Precious Achua. They could do a sign-and-trade thing with Duncan Robinson being a restricted free agent. They have you know larger contracts in Iguodala. It's a team option. Stuff, stuff, stuff like that. They could make it work salary cap-wise. And it's Miami. A lot of guys want to play there. So just keep an eye on that going forward. Switching over to the Western Conference, we're going to talk about the Clippers for a second. As much as Miami may be rooting for Dallas, uh, that was a tough one last night for Dallas. The Clippers absolutely dominated dominated the, the game. Luka Doncic is hurt, Dallas' best player, who's been dominating the series for the first two games, averaging over 35 points. He scored, I think, 19 points last night. He's hurt. He has a injured neck and some type of nerve uh, thing going on. Obviously, they're not going to tell the media exactly what he can and can't do with this injury because then the Clippers will just do that. Uh, but the team shot really poorly, and, and what it came down to was the it was a 25-point game. And sometimes it works out this way, even though the, the Clippers definitely took the gas off and could have won by more and they were dominating and, and everything like that. Couldn't Kawhi and Paul George basically got to whatever spot and shot they wanted. But Dallas made five three-pointers. The Clippers made 13. That's an eight three-pointer difference for 24 points. The Mavs lost by 25. Sometimes it works out like that, especially with Dallas, who is a offense first team that shoots a lot of three-pointers, even though the Clippers were the best three-point shooting team by percentage in the NBA. Threes are still incredibly important to Dallas and have a lot of shooters. Sometimes it just, hey, one team made a lot of shots and one team which was really, really poor from uh, beyond the three-point line. So I'm not too worried about Dallas offensively. Dallas defensively, oh my God. They're not good defensively all season. You know, very, very weak. And even some categories historically weak. But they need to find a way to at least make it somewhat difficult for Kawhi to get to his 30 or 35 points. And the same thing for Paul George to get to his 25 or 30. Is in game three and game four, Kawhi and Paul George were just kind of just like looking at Maxi Kleba, who I like, who I commend for playing as hard as he can because he's not a great defender, but he's the best one they have in getting stuck with Kawhi again to guard, which is just an impossible matchup because he's Kawhi Leonard. No one can really guard him. And just finding ways to make it more difficult, whether it's, you know, it's tough because the Clippers shoot really well from three. Do you bring a second guy? Do you play zone? I liked how they went with Boban to force the Clippers to keep Zubac on the court and guard him and a little rim protection. You know, he's not great on defense, but he's 7'3 or 7'4. You still have to shoot it over him and stuff. Uh, I don't know what, what you do, whether it's a little zone, whether it's a little trap, double, bring a second guy just to get, get, just, just to get the ball out of Kawhi's hand. I don't know what you do, but it'll be interesting to see what the adjustments that they make because it's got to be it's got to just become a little harder for Kawhi and George. Even if they still score 30-plus in, in Game 5, it's just got to be a little harder. And so I already you know, hit on how the Clippers lose a series. Mayhem, Paul George will most likely be traded, considering that's just what a move they can make. Or Kawhi will be 
or Kawhi will leave in free agency and Paul George will stay. But it's hard to believe that if the Clippers lose this series, one of them won't be, or both of them won't be playing for a new team next season. And Luka Doncic, this is this is just one thing I want to say about Luka because he's been playing great this series again against the Clippers. He's only played 10 career NBA playoff games, and so I get it. It's so exciting. He's so young in the playoffs putting up these numbers, but just a little backstory and context is he has played in tons of extremely high-level, high-pressure elimination-style games in the EuroLeague, which is like an elimination-style tournament, the European Championships with his country of Slovenia, where his age gap was even greater than he is than it is now. So he was 17, 18, 19, playing against guys, men in their primes, 25 to 28, the best players in Europe, and he was still putting up these big numbers, playing great in extremely high-pressure games when he was much younger than his competition. So even though this is only his 10th game in the NBA playoffs, uh, he has a lot of experience in these high-leverage, high intensity moments which is maybe why he's doing you know not just the fact that he's an incredible player but a little bit why of how the moment doesn't seem too big for him because it's not like the biggest games he played in was a March Madness Sweet 16 or Elite 8 game it's on the road in you know a country like you know playing one of the Greek the, the, the great Greek teams in a packed house with crazy fans at 17 or 18 going up against 27 year old prime uh, European basketball players. But Luca is extraordinary. Expect him to battle back and play a really good game five. So last game that, that we're going to hit on from yesterday is Suns-Lakers. Obviously, big, big stories that Anthony Davis was hurt, left the game at halftime. Game was pretty much, you know, it would have taken a huge LeBron, huge LeBron effort in, in the second half. But the Lakers can win this series without Anthony Davis. You know, the report is that he has a hurt groin day to day, but they can win the series, but can't win the title without him. And I think that that's pretty obvious. And, you know, what's interesting is that the biggest risk factor for the Lakers going forward, and I've talked about on this podcast that I think that, you know, I think that the discussion now of the greatest of all time, uh, you can still have the, the argument now, but projecting forward that LeBron will be the greatest of all time just with the cumulative stats for his whole career and the fact that he could win a that he could win three in a row with this uh, Lakers team, especially with how good Davis is. But it seems like the biggest risk facing the Lakers and LeBron's uh, greatest of all time status is not necessarily LeBron's injury risk and the aging, but Davis's. And can Anthony Davis stay healthy for an entire playoffs because while he did get hurt and left the game yesterday with a groin injury, when you watch, it's almost one or two plays every half where he goes up for something, comes down, and he's grimacing. He's holding a different part of his body, and you're wondering, is you know, is he hurt? Oh, no. Is, is that his knee or his ankle? And then he comes back. He plays in two possessions later. He's, he's dunking on someone on a putback. And so you don't really always know with him. I hope he's okay, but that seems to be the biggest risk going forward. Uh, is is Davis's injury risk rather than LeBron's. And so give the credit to the Suns as well. They're a really good team. They're the number two seed for a reason. Chris Paul makes every team that he's on better, which is pretty amazing. And the Suns, the way that the Hawks are better than the Knicks one through eight, the Suns are better than the Lakers one through eight. 
That doesn't mean they don't have the two best that the Lakers don't have the two best players because they do. But the Suns one through eight are better, more consistent three point shooting. Jay Crowder finally made some shots yesterday from three because he was the X factor in Miami's run to the finals last year. Was just how he shot seemingly fifty plus percent in every series from three, making every shot. And DeAndre Ayton really really like his game. He just knows what his role is. He's going to take shots inside. He's going to shoot a very high percentage. He's going to rebound. He's going to protect the paint the best he can. Uh, even though Doncic was picked two slots after him, and Doncic is a true MVP candidate, Aiton don't know yet exactly. Is he an all-star? Can he get to that next level to, to be seen? But he's played really well this series, and he's an interesting guy to look for going forward. Tonight, two games, both on TNT, Sixers-Wizards, 7 p.m. East Coast. Russell Westbrook battling injuries, still put up big numbers. Bradley Beals, you know, he's going to score, but the Wizards have had no answer all series long for Joel Embiid, which is what everyone thought going into it. This series was not very interesting when it started to me. Still not really that interesting now. This game will basically come down to if the 76ers want to win it or not. You know, the, the Wizards have the their backs against the wall. They're going to come out with that type of desperation. Hopefully, you know, last game at home, try to extend their ser- extend their season. This should be a sweep, but historically, uh, the home team's down 3-0 in this type of series. This has been uh, the game that they do and can win, and then the the better team, the Sixers, will, will win this game in five. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see at the beginning just what type of intensity do the Sixers come out and, and play with? And really, if they really want to win this game or not. Uh, and also just how how well do the Wizards shoot? Because they can make some threes and Beal and Westbrook are electric talents as well. Other game, 9.30, Jazz Grizzlies. This series started with a lot of uh, attention and fanfare with Donovan Mitchell missing game one with his sprained ankle that received a lot of media attention as... It was reported that he was ready to play, but the team held him out and, oh, you know, blah, 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 you know, the, the two sides of the story. And I believe I believe that Mitchell really, really wanted to play. And I believe that the Jazz said, hey, we're the one seed. They're really the nine seed, but they got the eight slot with the plan. Next game is in two days. Take three more days of rest and be that much more ready to go in that uh, it's a seven-game series. We're better than these guys and we can beat them without you for one game or it's not going to ruin the series for us and I get it Mitchell competitor wants to play had two disappointing playoff exits in a row especially last year coming losing a 3-1 lead to Denver he wants to get out there he's roaring and ready to go but the team made the decision and look don't know what's going to happen in the future with how that affects their relationship but uh Mitchell came out in game two and three and was just awesome he seems fully healthy now and What's amazing about him is he feels like and looks like when you watch him play, one of those rare players and shooters who's better shooting off the dribble than off the catch because he gets in these pick and rolls situation with Gobert, hunting certain matchups, and if the big guy's dropping off him, he's so good at pulling up from three off the dribble, mid-range, floaters, and he's just another guy who's improving every single season as a distributor because he was a real... When he was at Louisville, he was he was a real two guard. He was he was more off the off the ball scorer. wasn't didn't play much point. And then he gets to Utah, 
And he's such a dynamic creator that he would have the ball a lot. So even though he's not really a point guard, he still has to distribute a lot more than he did in college. And that was an area of the game where it was weak when he was a rookie, naturally. No, no, no players coming into the NBA as a finished product. And But that was a weakness of his. And he's just getting better and better and better at it, which is just awesome to see just the growth from year one in the playoffs to now this is year four. Uh, he's a really fun player to watch because not just can he just drive to the basket. You never know if he's going to do a, just an incredible dunk or acrobatic finish, but uh, just watching him get into the paint and say, oh, I'm just going to kick out to Bogdanovich. You're leaving him open for three. Bang, three points. Ingles, bang, three points. Oh, Jordan Clarkson, three points. And then just pull up for, for jumpers, just saying, like, all right, if you're going to back up off me and play drop coverage, I'm just going to hit a three, and there's nothing you can do about it. The Memphis thing is, look, they're severely overmatched in this series. John Morant has been great. He's like the pre-MVP Derrick Rose of when he drives to the basket, he's just going to try to dunk on anyone and everyone in his way. You worry about him long-term with his health playing like that, but man, is he exciting. It's great to have him in, in the playoffs. They just need to find a way to, to make it harder. Not saying that they're going to win this series. It's way easier said than done because the Jazz were the best record in the NBA. Terrific offense. But they just need to find a way to, to make it a little harder. But look, there's a reason why the Jazz were the one season with a terrific offense all season. So uh, I'm looking forward to that game more than the the Sixers game. Just to see Mitchell, John ja Morant, uh, Jones Valanciunas played great for Memphis as well. Gobert has been... Uh, really good for for Utah as well, and just the whole Utah team. Jordan Clarkson, every every game with with Utah, just keeps proving me more and more wrong. As I was not a big fan of his early in his career with the Lakers and then with Cleveland, but man, has he improved! Six Man of the Year winner. He is just a great player for uh, for this Jazz team. So I'm excited for to watch the rest of the playoffs. Uh, hopefully, if, if but when you're listening, this, this is all still relevant and nothing crazy has happened uh, in the time between when I'm recording this on Monday afternoon and uh, and when the games start. But uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This is it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back, hopefully tomorrow. Uh, Take care and make it a great day.